Amen. Go ahead and find a seat. Hey, Seth, can I use this? Yo. Yo. How we doing? Oh. Um. It's just, it's just unbelievable to me. Like, what is this? I don't feel like I've ever had more control over a crowd than just going, aw. Um, <laughs> uh, how are you guys feeling this morning? Feeling good? Oh. What are they feeding you? Uh, Hey, where are all my Marvel people at? Hey, uh, <clears throat> any DC comic people in here? Okay. I don't want to start a war, but hey, uh, you guys ever notice something about superheroes? Like, their life actually is kind of bad um, for the most part. A lot of times, their life just kind of sucks. Uh, they have to... Uh, throw away every sense of like norm, their normal life and they have to go and they have to live a life of meaning and of purpose and they have to sacrifice relationship after relationship to go and fight some crazy monster. Um, and I can't help but think, man, why do we then look up to these people? Why do we call them heroes? You know, it's like, man, we want to mirror our lives after these, these superheroes that are going and fighting crime or whatever it might be. But at the same time, it's like, do we really want to live like that? I don't think so. I think a lot of us deep down are like, mm, I'd rather just play my video games or I'd rather just eat some good soup. Um, but, man, like, why do we still call them heroes? Why do we want to be like them in a certain sense. Why is there this attraction about a superhero? And in fact, many of us, when we were young, used to want to be one. What do you want to be when you grow up, Timmy? I want to be Spider-Man or whatever it might be. I don't know why you'd want to be Spider-Man. You'd want to be Batman, 100%. Um, <clears throat> you want to be rich. No, no you don't. Um, hey, but the question remains, like, why do, we, why do we want to be like these people? And I think one of the main reasons for that, I think the primary reason we want to be like these people is because they have this epic purpose in their life, this epic meaning that they have to fulfill with their life. And they've been given a mission, and that mission is epic. And, they, and they're, they're searching out, and they're hunting, and they're finding evil, and they're eradicating it. And the same is for humanity, in a sense. Universally, we all long for meaning and purpose. This is just part of our DNA. We want to know what our purpose is. And oftentimes, we think our purpose is to amass wealth and maybe build uh, an empire, whatever it might be. Um, it might be to get a big house and fill our lives with things to protect us from discomfort, right? And we think that the main priority of our life and mission of our life is to reject 
discomfort and accept pleasure and comfort. The truth is, that couldn't be further from the truth. You guys know Tom Brady. Everybody knows Tom Brady. Everybody, like two years ago, hated Tom Brady, and now everyone loves him um, for some reason. Uh, but he has this famous interview where he's sitting down um, with an interviewer, and he basically, he's like, man, I got it all. I've got three rings. I'm 27. I've reached the pinnacle of my career, and I actually just don't, there's got to be more than this. I, I, I just, like, my whole life has led up to this moment. This was my purpose to be successful in the NFL, and now that I'm here, I don't know what I'm doing. Like, I, I don't have any further purpose. And so the truth is, is that in universally, in every single person's life, the purpose for, of our life is not just success. It's not comfort. It's not many of the things that we attribute our purpose to. Uh, Viktor Frankl, he's a Holocaust survivor, and he's a famous author. He's a, he's a psychologist, and he spent a lot of years um, in the Holocaust um, and in concentration camps. And he wrote a book about it. And he's a Jewish man. He wrote a book about it, and he, he's basically observing meaning. He was observing, observing the human's relationship to purpose, right? The book is called Man's Search for Meaning. And in it, he has one of the most famous quotes, and he says this. Life is never made unbearable by circumstances. A Holocaust survivor says this. Life is never made unbearable by circumstances, but only by lack of meaning and purpose. So what he's saying there, in a sense, is he's not saying that, man, your life only has meaning when you actually fill it with things that you enjoy, or you actually don't go through anything hard. That's not what makes life unbearable. Circumstances, the dark night of the soul, times in which you, you feel alone, or times in which, man, you're grieving the loss of somebody, or, or you don't actually see the other side, and you feel, man, this feels hopeless. In fact, that type of life is not actually the one he says is unbearable. Somebody who has every right to say otherwise, who's been put through hell and has seen the toll of human evil in real time. And his response is that life is never made unbearable by circumstances. But only by lack of meaning and purpose. And so the thing that we don't want to do as human beings, the thing that we, we want to avoid at all costs is not hardship. The thing we want to avoid at all costs is having a lack of purpose, a lack of meaning in our lives. It's not to avoid discomfort, but it's to seek meaning and purpose. Can I tell you guys a story about a time where I was very uncomfortable. So one time, I was with my friends. I was 16 years old. Um, and every good story always starts with, I was 16 years old. Um, and I was with uh, two of my buddies, and we were hiking in the Topanga Mountain, Santa Monica Mountains. And we decided to go on a little hiking trip. And um, <clears throat> as 16-year-old boys do, we're just laughing, having a good time, um, 
being dumb. Um, but as we're walking and we're just hanging out, lollygagging, uh, we see a no trespassing sign on our left, right? And so it, there's this fence that aligns the path. And so we're walking, we see no trespassing sign. And as a 16-year-old boy, what do you do? You trespass. Don't do this. I, I'm, I'm not telling you to break the law, please. Um, but we hop the fence, and this was a mistake. Uh, we're going, and we're hiking down, and there's actually these pathways um, on the other side of the fence. And so we're walking around, um, we're exploring, and it's weird. Like, there's these gates um, that don't have a fence, or, like, next to them. It's just a door. And, like, you could just open it. And it was just this bizarre thing. So, like, you, you, if it was locked, you could just go around it, but they weren't. So you could just go through a door um, on the path. It was just super strange. And we just keep going. We're probably walking for about 20 minutes, right? And so we get to this part of our trail, and in front of us is a gate that's locked. And also, there's a fence on either side. And so we really can't go any further. And us thinking like, man, maybe it's a, maybe this is a good place to stop. I hear my friend Lincoln, Joel, Joel's brother, I, I hear my friend Lincoln say, please, we're trying to get out, we're trying to get out, we're trying to get out. And so in that moment, I'm like, what is happening? So I turn around, I'm the first one, then there's my buddy Trent, and then there's Lincoln, okay? And so Lincoln's his back is to the trail, or at least so I think. And so I hear my buddy Lincoln say, we're trying to get out, we're trying to get out. I turn around, and there is a man with a machete right there, okay? And I know it's kind of a shocking story. I promise it's not going to be bad, okay? And so I'm sitting there, and this guy literally has a machete, and he's standing there. And I don't think he, sp he spoke English. And so we're trying to talk to this guy. Lincoln's really the only one talking to him. Me and Trent are just staring, right? We're just stiff. And um, guess what I have in my hand to defend myself? And I'm thinking, like, I literally don't know what to do in this moment. Um, all I can do is defend myself. And guess what is literally in my hand? Anybody remember selfie sticks? <laughs> okay, before you judge me, this was 2014 or whenever that was, okay? And so we were going to take some selfies, all right? We were going to do that, okay? But in that moment, I have a selfie stick, and I'm literally like, what am I going to do? Say cheese and then just have him turn around and be like, yo, this guy's sick. No. I'm ready to start wailing, right? I'm just ready to just go like I'm freaking fencing somebody. Um, and then eventually, obviously, he kind of gets the point that we're, we, we're lost. We lied. We're not lost. We hopped the fence, right? But ultimately, what ended up happening is he just followed us out until we hopped over the fence. And why did I tell you this story? Well, part of the reason I told you this story is because in that moment, honestly, honestly, I was thinking, man, what has my life been up to this point? I literally thought that my life was over, right? In my mind, I'm like, what purpose did my life serve? It was the first thing my, my mind hopped to, right? And I thought of my parents a little bit. Obviously, I was, if, if there was a line of death, I was the last one. But in that moment, I did think of those things. <clears throat> and as I got back on the trail, we just started talking about this. And it's like, man, we don't want to live our lives in a way that's just ordinary. 
And I think a lot of us in the church, even, as believers, and we live our lives as if we haven't been called to something, right? What is our purpose? The Westminster Catechism says, the chief end of man is to bring glory to God, is to bring him glory, right? And the natural response to that question is, man, then when I was saved, why wasn't I just zapped up to heaven? where I was joined with the angels and I was singing out praises and worshiping God for eternity. Why didn't that just happen the moment I was saved? And the truth is is that we've been given another purpose, a purpose that ultimately aligns with the purpose of giving God glory. We've been given a mission by God himself to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit. Would you guys turn to Matthew 28 with me? Matthew is the first book of the New Testament. It's the first of the Gospels. I run into believers all the time, and um, people that I knew that would go to youth group, that loved their youth group and would spend time and worship the Lord and spend time in Bible studies. And then once college hit, around college time, and this is statistically true, right, across the board, across our churches, that once college hit, college hits, that age, typically church attendance tends to drop significantly. Part of that has to do with the youth group, and you're actually now called to be responsible and go to church <clears throat> and not just go and see and hang out with your friends. But I would see this all the time where these people in my life, man, they loved the Lord and they wanted to pursue him. But then eventually it just kind of fizzled out and they no longer believe in him. And they no longer call themselves Christians and they no longer profess to believe in Jesus Christ. And nothing is more sad to me. And I got to think one of the main reasons that this happens amongst young people is that they think that the Christian life is supposed to be comfortable. And ultimately, they think that the Christian life is not missions-oriented. It's not missional. We live, we go to church, and we go to our jobs, and we go to church again where they greet us and say, hello, brother. And then the next day, we wake up, <clears throat> go to work, and then we go to church again. And it's just this cycle. And man, I, I got to think that a lot of us feel like, it doesn't matter whether or not I truly follow Christ because, I mean, this is my life as a result. And I couldn't, t- I, I have to tell you, it couldn't be farther from the truth. You have been commanded by God in his word to go and live a life that is on mission for him. And if there's anything that I want you guys to take out of this message, it's that. That this isn't just something that we as Christians, can take or leave. This is a command that God has given us as believers to go and make disciples. Let's read this real quick. This is often coined the Great Commission, and oftentimes this helps us understand what it means to live a life on mission. Verse 18, we'll start there. It says, And Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, 
and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded, and behold, I am with you even to the end of the age. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, <coughs> help my voice. <laughs> um, we're so thankful for you, God, this morning. And God, I just pray that you would, God, even just as we're singing these worship songs and professing that you are the one true God, and as we're worshiping you and we're singing these songs to you, God, even as we do these things, God, may we never forget that worship is not just singing to you, but it's living a life that obeys you. God, one of the things that we need to obey is your great commission. One of the things that we need to follow in obedience is to follow you in sharing the gospel with people that don't know it. And God, I pray more than anything that you would give a burden to these students to share the only message that saves. The only message exclusively that saves. We love you, God, and we are thankful for all that you've done for us. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're talking about our purpose, right? And what is our purpose? And the way that I want to answer this question is in four ways. And that is who, what, where, and why? Who, what, where, and why? Okay? And so when we read this verse, the Great Commission, throughout this message, I want us to ask those questions. Who is calling us to go? What is he calling us to? Where is he calling us to go? And why should we go? Why ought we listen and obey and go to all the nations? We'll start with who. Who is it that calls us to go? We'll start in verse 18. And Jesus came to them and said, All authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. Go therefore. Okay, immediately, right there, then and there. What do we need to do? Immediately, we need to look back at what just happened. Why? Because we see that Jesus is saying, all authority on heaven and on earth has been given to me. And we've been talking about Jesus' life and teaching, right? And we've been figuring out, man, Jesus has authority. Even before he was crucified and risen again, Jesus has, come, uh, has authority uh, to heal People that have diseases, Jesus has authority to turn water into wine. Jesus has authority to raise Lazarus from the dead. So obviously, if we believe in the scriptures and we believe in the gospel, we instantly see Jesus has authority. That's what it means, authority. And so in this moment, he says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Why would he be saying this right now? The disciples should have already known this. And then right after it, it says, go therefore. And so we need to ask, what is the therefore, therefore? And ultimately, every time we see a therefore, we have to look back. What did Jesus just do? He just rose from the dead. And now he is saying, all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. I hold the keys to death and life. I am the king of the universe. When he says all authority, what does it make you think of? A king. Somebody who rules. So now Jesus is establishing, establishing himself as a king. And if you're a king, you give orders, right? So Jesus isn't just saying this, hey guys, go and make disciples. It'll be a lot better for your walk with me if you do. He's not saying that. 
And that might be true, and that is true. But he's saying, go. Go. And instantly we know that he's not just saying go to these disciples. When it says disciples, we have to realize is that we are disciples. What is a disciple? I talked about this in my seminar yesterday. A disciple is a student of the word. Somebody who learns and follows after Jesus and wants to know his word and wants to obey his teachings. And so as disciples, he is calling us to go and make them. Make more of them. God is a God who sends. He sends throughout the Bible. This isn't just the only time where he's commissioned people. Throughout the word of God, in the time of Moses, he goes to Moses and he says, Moses, I need you to deliver my people. And Moses' response is, who am I? Exodus. Jesus sends in the same way. In the book of Isaiah, real quick, you guys want to turn there. Uh, Isaiah is a a big book. It's right smack dab, or it should be kind of in the middle of your Bible. Isaiah 6, chapter 6. This is a famous passage, one of my favorite passages of Scripture. Why? Because it gives us an image of the God who sends us. The same God who is telling us to go and make disciples of all nations. Here's what it says. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting up on a throne, high and lifted up. The train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two, he covered his face. And with two, he covered his feet. And with two, he flew. And one called to the other, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is filled with his glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. And I said, Isaiah said, Woe is me, for I am lost. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. So Isaiah sees this vision. And Isaiah is a prophet. And I have to think in that moment, man, what it would be like to see the Lord. And I think that in that moment, he doesn't really have language to explain what he's saying. He's just saying he was, he was high and he was lifted up. I don't know what I was looking at, but he was high and he was lifted up. And his, and his whole, and the train of his robe filled the temple. And there was these creatures and they were singing, holy, holy, holy. And what was Isaiah's response It wasn't necessarily to join in with that song. He instantly felt guilty. He felt unworthy. He was like, I serve this God. Woe is me. I'm a man of unclean lips. I don't know what to do in this moment. Later on down in the passage, it says... And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? And who will go for us? Then I said, Here I am. Send me. And then God tells him to speak to his people and to give a message to them. But in that moment, God is sovereign. He's in control of everything. He sees everything that has happened and that every, everything that will happen. 
And so in a moment like this, you have to ask yourself, why is God even asking this question? Well, he's asking the question that he already knows the answer to. Who will go for me? Isaiah's right in front of him, and he's just waiting for Isaiah to respond. And Isaiah says, here I am, send me. And God sends him out to give a message to the people. God is a God who sends. In the same way that God sent Isaiah, God is sending you and I to share the gospel. And it's not just any God. It's the creator of everything. You think that we have the option to just not obey him? If you saw the glory of the Lord right in front of your eyes, I pray that you would do the same thing. That you'd recognize the person that sends you. Not only is the question that we should be asking, who is it that sends us? What does he call this to? If you guys want to turn back over to Matthew. What does he call this to? Following verse. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Instantly what you think. There's three things that we need to take account of. It says, go therefore and make disciples, baptize them, and teach them to observe all that I have commanded. Make disciples, baptize, teach them all that I have commanded. And one of the things that, man, we need to understand in this passage is that all three of those things happen at the local church. It happens at our churches and in our youth groups. And oftentimes, man, we think it's this boring thing to go to church. And in fact, when we read the Great Commission, some of us are inspired to go and share the gospel, but we're not even invested in the body of Christ. We cannot live a life on mission unless we're actually involved in our churches. And so for some of you guys are figuring out, man, where am I going to go to college next year? Where am I going to go? I'd ask that you would first find a church that you're going to go to and then pick a college. Why? Because the body of Christ is so much more important. Your walk of righteousness, your walk with the Lord is so much more important. Obviously, I want you guys to be responsible. I want you guys to go to college or do whatever you feel, that the, whatever career that you feel you want to do. But there's a greater purpose in our life, and, and that purpose is found in the local church. And like I said earlier, local church attendance just drops after high school, and it's because we don't think that it's a, a great enough life. We just get bored. We go to church every day or every, every Sunday. We don't recognize that God's only plan of redemption and sharing the gospel with those that don't know him is the church. And so if you want to share the gospel, if you want to step out and be bold and be courageous for the sake of the gospel, invest in the church first. Invite people to the church because it's the church where we declare who God is. It's a church where we declare the gospel. The greatest danger for you and I is not persecution. 
And you might think that in this moment, and we're heading in that direction, and you might be right, right? I mean, there's, there's certainly more persecution happening than there was 60 years ago. But the greatest danger for us still is not persecution. It's not harm done to our physical bodies because of what we believe. It's not being thrown in prison for what we believe. It's our passion for the gospel growing cold because we have everything we need and we don't have any discomfort. The greatest danger to the Christian life is discomfort or is comfort. Why? Because when we're surrounded by these things that distract us, and Jesus talks about it a lot, don't lay your treasures up here where moths will come and destroy. Not only that, it'll distract you from things that are finite or things that are infinite and pull your attention to things that are finite. And so what I'm trying to do is get you to be pulled out of the things that are finite, the things that will be destroyed, the things that at the end of your life, when you're on your deathbed, you're not going to be thinking about but on the eternal things, where do I go when I die? Did I live a life? Did I share the gospel with people? Was I able to be used by God to save, to seek and save the lost? And the church is exploding in places like China where they meet in garages and meet in caves and underground because they're not allowed to actually gather together in public unless Unless their, their, their theology aligns with the communist government, they're actually rewriting the Bible in China so that it actually aligns with the political views of that country. And the only Bibles that are allowed to be possessed are the ones that are verified by the CCP, which is the Communist Party of China, CPC. And so you see this happening in the world where persecution is real, where the church is being stifled, but it's at the same time it's exploding because their passion has not been whiffed out. And I don't want us to experience that. We need to get uncomfortable. And one of the main ways we do that is by sharing the gospel, believe it or not. It's not a comfortable thing to do. You're having a conversation with somebody and all of a sudden you just start talking about Jesus. It's not a comfortable thing to do. And in fact, there's this common saying, and you guys have heard it all the time, preach the gospel, but when necessary, use words. When is it ever necessary not to use words? Man, there's tons of nice people that do nice things for other people that aren't Christians. What makes you different than them? And the reason that you do these things and you love people ultimately is because God first loved you, right? When we make disciples, when we're obedient to the call of God in our life, there's this ripple effect. And you guys have the greatest influence. It, like, your guys' influence as you're in high school is greater than it ever will be in your life. You're around so many people in your schools, so many people you have classes with, so many different people. And it, the same is in college, but I would say, man, it's a little bit less. Why? Because people are a little bit more receptive in high school to the truth. And as you guys are on your high school campuses, I pray that you are burdened by this to share the gospel. 
And ultimately, when you do, you create more disciples. And what happens? They create disciples. Then they create disciples. And there's ripple effect. There's this famous passage, and I'll transition with this, but there's this famous passage in the book of Romans where Paul is basically explaining to the Roman people, he's saying, man, I've journeyed from Jerusalem all the way to Illyricum, and my work is finished. I am to go now and share the gospel with those that have not yet heard. And so it's really interesting. He says his work is finished. Why? I mean, there's a few churches in that area, but why would he say his work is finished? Well, because he's passed on the baton to those people in those churches to then do the work that he started, to share the gospel and to make disciples. And so his job is not to just continue to build on their foundation, but to go to places that don't have access to the truth. And that brings me to my, my next point. Where are we to go? And it says it in that passage, to the ends of the earth. To the ends of the earth. What does it mean to actually be a missionary? Not everyone's a missionary. We're all called to live a life on mission, but I'd argue not all of us are missionaries. Why? Because not all of us, I mean, we live in a place that has such a great access to the word of God and the gospel, but a lot of other places don't have the same access. I can think of eight solid churches in California where they're making disciples, sharing the gospel with the lost, seeking and saving the lost. And so missionaries are actually people that go to places where there is not equal access to the gospel, where there are not many churches, where they're suffering physically and mentally and, and societally. We go to those places and we not only preach the good news, but we live it out and we actually share the gospel with them through word and deed. And so if you're called to global missions, what you first have to realize is that you cannot be globally impactful unless you're first invested locally. You need to be invested in your local church and you need to talk to your elders and you need to talk to your pastors and you need to be like, yo, I, I have this passion. I want to go. I, I'm done with this comfortable life. I want to go and be a part of God's work and his kingdom building over in places that don't even have the Bible in their language, that don't even have access to the gospel, that haven't never heard the truth of the good news. We're going to talk about that in a second. And the last one is why. Why do we go? Why should we go? Well, the first answer to that question is because God calls us to go. He commands us to do it. And so therefore, walking in obedience means that we need to go and do it. But not only that, why would God? It goes back to the original question. Why would God not just bring us up so that he may be glorified? And those that do not believe him immediately are sent to a place without him. Why would he do that? The question is that God, the reason Jesus came, and the reason we're here, Jesus came to seek and save the lost. It says in the New Testament, man, 
Second Peter 3.19, here's what it says. God wishes that none would perish and that all would come to repentance. God in his love and his mercy wants those that don't know him, even those that reject him on a daily basis, which is everybody, to know him. And how will they know him? How will they actually know him? Well, the answer is found in Romans 10, 13 through 15. Here's what it says. Everybody, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. What does it say right after that? How then will they call on him whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet that preach the good news. That is what you get to be a part of if you call yourself a believer of Christ. And the answer to that question is they won't. They will not. They won't come and call upon the name of the Lord and, and be saved unless they are told the good news. And may that burden sink in that anybody who is, does not call upon the name of the Lord will not spend an eternity with him, yet will spend an eternity in hell. It's real, and Jesus preached about it. And that burden is to light a fire within us that we wouldn't be comfortable, we recognize, we sit up here at a Christian camp, we're, get, we're preached the gospel, and we accept Christ, and we're allowed to just go and live our regular lives? No. God has called us to so much more. Our purpose is in this. What is God's will for my life? We ask that question all the time. It's right here. It's to go and make disciples of all nations and baptize them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. This year, <clears throat> we got to partner with an organization called Jam Ministries, Jubilani Africa Ministries. And uh, there's this missionary, and his name is Jit, G-I-T, a sick name, right? Um, and he is a missionary over in South Africa. And one of the coolest things about Jit is he actually sat where you sat in Ponderosa Chapel. And at this very moment in the mission's message, he actually decided, man, I want to live a life on mission for Christ. And you want to know something really interesting? Jit was from South Africa, and he went back to South Africa to share the gospel, to start an organization that was to develop disciples and leaders. And therefore, from that, they would go and make disciples as well. And so you guys, go ahead and watch a video that will help explain his mission and what he gets to do. Check out the screen. Awesome. So in a few moments, we're going to take an offering, and um, obviously, we'd ask that, man, you guys wouldn't feel an obligation to give, but ultimately, we're partnering every year with a missions organization, and this is the year that we're partnering with JAM, and uh, JIT, he's an awesome guy, and um, his love for the gospel and for the word is so evident, as I've even just gotten to talk to him and ask him some questions, but... One of the things you, you just heard is that they're going on a trip to go ahead and share the gospel to the different areas and, and communities around the Limpopo Providence, and they're meeting with church leaders and strategizing how they can do that. And so in this very moment, please don't feel an obligation to give, but at the same time, this money will go and help support 
what Jid is doing at Jam Ministries, um, going and sharing the gospel and developing leaders to go and do the same. And um, not only will this money go to JIT, but also go to Hume International, the Hume International Fund. And that doesn't go to anything here at the lake, anything that you see around here or any, any other campus, um, whether it be New England or SoCal. It doesn't go to those things. Um, Hume International essentially is something, one of the ministries at Hume that goes to these countries, like I said, that have less access to the gospel and are able to run camps like you guys have experienced this week in, in sharing the gospel of these students, man, that don't know it. And uh, we've been to Thailand. We've been to um, Papua New Guinea, Nigeria, and different places around the world. And so um, that's where the offering will end up going. And so um, at this very moment, I'd ask two things, okay, as you prepare to give or not, as the, as the ushering bags are passed around, that you guys would pray. And that you guys would pray in zeal and pray in passion that, man, if, if God has called me to, to be a disciple of all nations, have I been doing that? Man, have I actually been following him and heeding the call to make disciples? And the second is pray for, for Jits and Jam and, and the things that they're about to do on this mission trip as they're about to partner with church leaders and strategize how to reach their communities, both in word and deed through the power of the gospel, saving those that are lost, and also not just saving them, but helping meet their needs. And so um, we're going we're gonna to enter a time of prayer. Um, the band's going to come up after a few moments, after the offering bags have made it all the way back, and they're going to lead us in one last song of worship. Sound good? Love you guys.